You're listening to Customer Perspective, an Ipsos podcast. This is Season 4, Episode 5. everyone and welcome to the latest episode of season four of Customer Perspective. Now this is our Ipsos podcast series where we get to explore all things customer experience and channel performance. So I'm Helen Wilson, I'm the Global Chief Experience Officer for our Ipsos CX and channel performance business and today we're joined by Alison Charters. Now she is the global lead of Omnichannel here at Ipsos. Uh, she's also the co-author of a paper just published so that's Beyond Omnichannel Retail to Convergent Commerce. And in that, she explores some of the emerging channels where convergent commerce is evident, impact on shopper journeys and so on and so forth, what it means for brands. And I'd obviously love to get her take on what's going on in that world. But before we start any of that, Alison, welcome. Can you just tell me, what do you actually get up to here at Ipsos? Who are you? What do you do? What's your purpose in, well, maybe not life, but Ipsos? <laughs> Well, thank you for that introduction, Helen. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Um, what do I do at Ipsos? As you mentioned, I lead our global omni-channel effort. Um, that includes an incredibly fast world of changing solutions, products, programs, and a, a broad network of experts throughout the world. That's a pretty snappy description. So thank you for that, Alison. It gives us more chance to focus on this area. And you know what? It's interesting. I read a lot of the Ipsos papers, or not a lot, but quite a few of the Ipsos papers before they're, before they're published. And genuinely, when I saw the first draft of this one, I was just consumed by it. I absolutely loved it. Um, it's, it's a fascinating paper, so I will be sending you all to the link afterwards. But let's start off before we get into the really, really fascinating stuff. Let me actually jump in on that one for one second before we get into the, to the content, because I appreciate the compliment. It's a fascinating space, and I feel very lucky to be working in a space that's changing not just every week or month, but every day or minute. Um, even this week with Singles Day happening in China on Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to learn new things. And if we recorded this in three days, I bet I'd have a new type of commerce to talk to you about. So <laughs> it's, it's fun to be in a great spot, and it's fun to have had a great team to work with on this paper. Oh, that's a lovely thing to hear. Okay, I'm going to reel you back again. All right, let's start. <laughs> What is convergent commerce? Let's get let's have the definitions out of the way first off. So the definition according to Allison is convergent commerce is the notion that digital touch points are exploding and converging into totally new forms of physical and detail, digital retail. So think about it as touch points and shopping points coming together in physical and digital environments. There's lots of names that cover this in very many perspectives. Our world is digitally disrupted. So omnichannel, unified commerce, it, it goes on and on. Personally, I like converging commerce because it talks about what we're seeing as the whole thing coming together in, in the palm of our hands, literally in, in a smartphone. So within that, what are the types of commerce? I mean, you and I have had this conversation before where there's this tendency yeah. to sort of lump dump everything together in e-commerce and it's it's simply not it's not the way we describe other channels so tell me a little bit more what are the sort of threads that knit together as part of e-commerce so you're so right helen traditional e-com is almost meaningless today um, as the world has fragmented into all kinds of different dimensions social commerce live stream voice dtc q commerce 
They are. They are. I mean, the, the, the alphabet soup of commerce, I mean, literally, you could see the abbreviations exploding, is, is really complicated. And we have to figure out which are the ones that are most important. So just to put it in perspective, right, um, if we, Ipsos Essentials tracks what's happening in shopping behavior around the world, it tracks more than that. But the part we're talking about today is omnichannel behavior. And every two weeks, we're getting a pulse out there on how many people are using different kinds of commerce. Um, AR, VR commerce, 32% of the world's consumers say they've tried it. Livestream, again, 32 with a skew to almost everyone in China. On-demand quick commerce, that's folks on bikes and scooters delivering to you now, 36%. Social, 38. Voice, 39. Compare that to the what, old fa- what is now called old-fashioned e-commerce of going to a website um, or a marketplace. That's about 70% of the world's consumers. So the numbers on this new convergent commerce channels are still low, but they're catching up to half as many people and even more, and some of them are using, using them as using a marketplace or a brand website. That's a huge number when most of these did not exist in 2018. So talk to me more. We've talked about sort of the, the definition, as it were, of that. But we also talked about it from a convergent perspective. Tell me more. What, what's going on? In that what's going up? on? Well, people are doing all kinds of things in store, right? So in store, the technology is coming to the shopping experience. And then the opposite is happening, that the store is coming closer to the home. So some examples. Um, my colleagues in, with Ipsos China talk about running their lives by QR codes. they using QR codes at the shelf to look at price and product information, using QR codes in a restaurant, right? using QR codes to get into your office building. Many of these things have now traveled around the world. They're really coming together in shopping. And so think about that as an example. Another, buying online while you're in a physical store. I had a situation last week in a Lululemon where they didn't have any of the product and they literally were doing a a VR adaptation of to what all this clothing would look on me and, and on my daughter. I mean, an amazing world, things we wouldn't have thought about before. Apple stores don't sell product anymore. Apple stores are a place to experiment, their showrooms, and then they place the order for you on their computer using your ID standing in the store. Um, using virtual reality and makeup fitting rooms, you know, started with small DTC companies, and now pretty much every single big cosmetics and hair care brand has some kind of virtual stylist going on. A simple example, getting delivery of my e-com order from Walmart in bags by people who work in a store six miles away with reusable packaging in two hours. Those are all examples of convergent commerce. And what's most interesting is shoppers are not just using one. We're using different forms of commerce for different shopping missions on different days in different categories. The the complexity is really quite unpredictable. And for me, a few threads coming through there, but obviously when I put my customer experience hat on, it goes back to this customer experience, shopper experience is absolutely key. No matter what channel, no matter what combination thereof, it's still about driving that experience that's delivering on the brand promise, uh, that's delivering on expectations. And again, back to your point, it's about recognising this whole concept of liquid expectations. What I might experience from those fabulous examples you've described just there is something I might well expect when I phone or when I contact or when I walk into the store of a completely different type of 
outlet or, or brand. So on that point, you've given some great examples, but what does it mean? You know, what's the kind of so what of all this? If I'm a brand sitting here, listen to this, perhaps being a little apprehensive about the world that I'm facing, what do I need to bear in mind as a brand? Well, I'd really see the four things. The first is, in addition to the channels converging, the touch points are converging. So touch points that we used to think about as marketing touch points are now buying points with shop now buttons on them, right? We've all seen that on our social media feeds. Live streaming, another perfect example of that. Video used to be about education and marketing, and now it's about purchase. So the touch point roles have changed is number one. Number two, changing role of the physical store. Depending on your market, depending on how advanced modern trade is, the physical store is overall declining its importance in the, in the shopper journey. Less reliance on the physical store. The good ones have figured out how to change the role of the store. So changing the store from just a pure product purchase set area to an in-store experience to e-commerce fulfillment to um, a convenience store. And, and emphasizing the products that people want now and don't want to wait for. So there's so many different roles changing. The third, we need to de-average digital channels. This is a really hard thing for us as an industry. We, we used to talk about retail, and then we talked about within retail, we have traditional trade, we have hypermarkets, we have pharmacy, we have grocery stores, we have department stores. Well, then we talked about e-commerce. Well, now we can't just talk about e-commerce. We have to talk about our brand site, our marketplaces, our live streaming, our voice commerce, our queue commerce, and on and on. So we need to start thinking with more scrutiny about the micro differences between the e-commerce channels, just like we do about the physical channels. And then I would say, lastly, this is all about creating a seamless ecosystem across touch points and channels. A lot of words, right? Seamless. I go from one to the next as a consumer. Ecosystem, and it's my personal ecosystem, right? I love the idea of Allison's ecosystem, right? And I'm sure, Helen, you like Helen's ecosystem. And even though on paper there's a lot of similarities between us, I know our ecosystems are going to be more different than our English accents are here today, right? Um, so brands have to figure out how to engage with each touch point and how do they talk to channel agnostic consumers and get them from touch point to touch point to touch point to purchase in, in the way that's right for their category and their brand nuance. Your point about personalization is an interesting one. I don't know if you heard the podcast whereby we spoke about the find, some of the findings from our recent CX Global Trends program. And this was a program among a thousand odd CX professionals across 50 odd markets. And when you look across all of that, personalization is absolutely number one priority. You know, others besides, of course, but personalization is absolutely key. And talking to you and knowing you as I do, I've actually, I'd quite like to see Alison's personalized experiences because I, I kind of think you and I would, would like each other's personalized experiences, but we won't go there for now. Alison, to your four, I'm going to add another one because for me, one of the things I'm heavily involved in right now is in terms of um, the European or the EXAS, which is European Contact Centre Customer Service Awards program. So I'm sort of a voice of the contact centre industry. And I think often people, not you, not people in the industry, but forget the absolute power of the contact centre. You know, for, for some still think of it as 
the people on the phone. The reality is now actually these are the people who are sitting behind all of this stuff. These are the people who are actually driving excellence and experience. So I'm, I'm, we've got some awards coming up a couple of weeks time and I cannot wait to see the awards for, for best digital experience. Although perhaps next year they need to have best X experience plus Y experience, plus Q experience, and we can de-average those awards. Well, you know, it's interesting as you think about those awards and you think about the examples, I'm thinking about telco as an industry. That's a perfect example of where the contact center has gotten more important in an e-commerce world. And I might order my phone at my favorite service provider.com and, and the phone arrives. And in the old world, I would walk to the store, uh, buy the phone, maybe I pre-order it. They would help me make sure I'm backed up and make sure everything is together. And I'd walk out the door with things ready to go. Well, now I do it, order the phone on my app because there's a lot of new ones that have just come out. And, and I've got my upgrade and the thing arrives hopefully in a matter of a few weeks. Used to be instantaneous, by the way. It's slower right now. And the thing arrives and I've got a lot of upgrading to do. So the contact center really helps me. And I know that the worst part of my recent phone upgrade situation was waiting on hold for 72 minutes to get to the person who could help me finish my installation process. So hopefully you can find those companies, Ellen, that have the best practices and the rest of us can learn from them. I should be happy to share them. Check my LinkedIn out. Right. I you've, you've talked about some of this and you've talked about this in the example you've given. But what does this mean for the for the shopper? How's the shopper journey changing? Well, I get, I get asked that question all the time. I also get asked a separate question that's very related, which is, is there still a shopper journey if people are okay. just buy, seeing and buying? And the answer to that is absolutely there's still a shopper journey, but there's really two entirely different sets of them now. So uh, the word I like to use is bifurcation of journeys. So think about it as splitting clearly into two branches. One is super short, buy now, impulse or automated journeys. The other is more lengthened, research-oriented, fully engaged journeys. And, and they're opposites. And so depending on your category and brand, which one weighs more heavily is something you, you really need to figure it out. So a couple points I wanna make on each. So if we think about the impulse journey and the shorter journeys, first, impulse. Impulse used to be almost nothing on e-commerce. And now thanks to social commerce and quick commerce, Impulse has become a really big deal. They discover and buy immediately using those buttons that are everywhere. And so we need to help as we work with brands and as we're conducting our shopper research, really understand what gets someone to click on that TikTok video and buy now versus just enjoy the TikTok video and maybe think about the brand in the future. Um, it's not news that social buy now originated with WeChat 51% of total Chinese population use social commerce regularly. But here's what's news. When you ask people who are using it sometimes, the number of Americans and, and actually North Americans, USA and Canada, that are buying products or discovering them through, through social media is almost the same as the number in China. We're just not doing it for everything. So the trend is there and it's gonna start to explode and pick up speed in the rest of the world. The other piece of short term is auto replenishment. This is both human and automated. 
So certain things, you know, we used to write on a grocery list or we used to put on our, a, a post-it on our wall, the things we wanted to get done. Well, now people put it in their shopping cart and use Alexa to, to, and my Alexa just kicked in and made some noise behind me as I said that, because she who will not be named would like me to place an order for my favorite product. And then she will choose what that product is, even if I did not tell her what brand. So that happens automatically, and it's, it's a bit scary, but it's really time-saving once you get the hang of it. So the answer to that is the brand that gets on the auto-replenishment list is going to win. You know, there's, there's more and more examples I can talk about about impulse and replenishment, but I'm going to jump in because I know you're going to ask me, so what? And as you think about so what of these shorter journeys, we all need to understand that the searching and evaluating stages disappear. I'm not considering other things when I buy something on social media or I ask Alexa to order whatever I ordered last month. Instead, I go right to living, using, to ordering. The other piece, all the brand touch points are reduced to a transaction point. That's hard for us as marketers. We want to spend a lot of money thinking about all these marketing programs and evaluating what works. Well, if somebody's buying on social, it is right there, activation-focused in a very micro moment. So we need to think differently about the, the marketing that happens before then, the awareness building, what we used to call TV that's now so much more than that. How do we use media to get shoppers to a place that when they see us on Facebook or they talk to our voice assistant, we're ready to pull the trigger? The last piece is we need to map all these touch points out and, and stop splitting touch points from pure marketing touch points to pure shopping touch points. They're converging and we need to think about beyond the usual suspects in that way. So as we think about the way e-commerce initially started, it was a place people went to research and then buy, right? It started heavily in consumer electronics and we went and we learned, we did research, we did homework, we read reviews. We were very thoughtful on the way we used e-commerce. Now remember that Amazon started as a bookstore. And, and that's what they, they set out to do is sell books online. And so very thoughtful choices about what book I want or what, what consumer electronics I want. And now it's everywhere. So people, when they go online, are have a desire to learn more. And whether it's the web, a video, a live chat, virtual shopping. When you think about live streaming, people go to live stream retail shows for fun. And because they think it's fun to learn about something, right? It's kind of the equivalent of watching that great British baking show that so many of us are addicted to. People don't go because they want to learn how to bake. They go because it's fun and maybe they bake a little bit more because it feels good. So it's the same sort of thing. So what happens in these longer, ver longer missions is they're becoming more personalized. And we're back to the ecosystem again, Helen, of Helen's ecosystem. And, and what's the personal nature of that? And in that world, we need to reevaluate shopper segmentations. We can't just separate people by lifestyle or by age or by country or by economic status. We need to understand people by shopping mission and how they're using different channels with each mission. You know, and it's not simple. Um, there's a number out from Salesforce, actually, that the current average of physical and digital touch points used in an individual shopping journey is, is nine. So think about that. That's a lot of touch points before I decide what to buy. 
And in many cases, those touch points could happen in a minute or two. So it's it's not just that I'm spending an hour trying to figure out which new phone I want to get. It could be that I'm spending two and a half minutes trying to decide if I want to get a new form of breakfast cereal and, and whether which one is better for me and going to start my day in the healthiest of fashions. So it, it really does vary. And what we need to do is we need to think about these touch points and manage the data and the insights in a way that will get us to clear activation plans. There's so much data out there. There's so much information. So much of it of what's happening is happening before we have time to think. And so taking a step back and understanding the shopper journey in both shoppers' attitudes, emotions, and behaviors is, is really, really critical. The challenge is in many of these touch points, we lose control. And, and we've got more data and the data would say you have control, but you don't. And so we've got to be prepared for a world of what we say could end up on any social media post, could end up in reviews. One little bad experience with that contact center and that 72 minutes waiting to get my phone installed. If I were someone who wanted to rant on social, I really could have made some people very frustrated with a particular company, but I'm not gonna because it's not my personality and I don't have time for that, but there's a lot of people out there that do. So what we need to do is map the varying roles of each touch point, understand what we control, get ahead and anticipate what we can't, know what our strengths and weaknesses are, and then communicate in a transparent way across all of them. Sounds really easy, it's really, really hard. And I'd add into that because I think, as you say, absolutely about understanding that from the, the customer journey, the shopper journey perspective, about understanding what the needs are. But it's also for us in the roles we do about understanding the business questions that we need to address. So when we're faced with this huge amount of data, what is it that we actually are looking to drive? And I guess for me, you know, I, people have heard me banging on a bit about this before, but it's about recognising for organisations, brands, it's not just about meeting functional needs. It's about meeting those emotional needs, about meeting those relationship needs, those CX forces. And if you can get to that stage of emotional attachment, then do you know what? They are going to be more forgiving if they've had that horrible experience. Actually, do you know what? They are more likely to stay as a customer. They are more likely to increase share of spend, uh, to recommend, to be advocates for the brand. They are more likely to be able to be served in an operationally efficient manner. But it's that real challenge, as you described, in terms of that shortened journey or that different journey. How do we get to a place where we can create that emotional attachment across Across that, but across your relationship with your brand, such that you protect in those instances that you can't control. That's right. And when you make a mistake, because it's going to happen, particularly in the world we're in today with so many supply chain channels, challenges, let's find a way to make this make good. You know, the example I was just talking about, I would be even more annoyed if I got if I hadn't gotten to a representative who heard my complaint about the wait time and ended up sending me all kinds of free chargers and a free case. I felt really good at the end of it that they made a mistake, but they made me feel that they embraced it, they owned it, they made good on it, and I love my new phone. We talked about the whole experience side of things, and we, we've, we've talked about this in part, but I want to go a little bit deeper. So if we're talking about you know, the so-called sensorial experiences that one might, one will experience face-to-face. Walking into a shop, there's certain things that I'm going to experience. How do we, I guess, should we, but how do we replicate those sensorial experiences online? Well, that is the question because e-commerce is cold 
And when we track shopper responses to current e-commerce environments across categories, the number one complaint is they're not talking to me. It's generic. I don't feel an experience, right? Consumers are craving personalization. Consumers are craving human beings. We've made this whole conversation without saying the P word, that's pandemic. But but it is important because we've spent so much time over the last two years in our homes, socially isolated. And in an e-commerce world, we're, we continue those behaviors. So we're craving personalization. We're craving human contact in a digital world. Voice calls are coming back. Google all over. There's all kinds of data about people who want to talk to their friends on a phone, maybe while they're taking a walk, maybe while they're watching a show, but they want to get away from these screens that we look at all day long. Secondly, call center times, hold times are way up. It's not just because there might be fewer people working in those, it's more people are calling. People are looking for answers, they're tired of the computer, and so those that data is escalating rather than de-escalating. And it's no accident that some of the fastest growing types of commerce are driven by human beings, right? Live stream retail hosts and influencers. People are doing reality TV shopping and actually buying at that very moment. Social commerce, they might not be in the room with their friend or they may do what my daughter's generation does is they're on social commerce and they're on their FaceTime at the same time advising each other on what to buy. And, and it just happens so very fast. So those are sensorial ways of using real human beings to create a warmer, fuzzier environment. But there are many other things that can happen that are simpler and more automated, right? Um, VR and AR are bringing options to the door. I mentioned the beauty care stuff earlier, auto test drives, immersive supermarkets like we're in our SimStore store view, um, but even in 2D, you can connect more sensorially. I mean, think about it, right? Simple senses. Music is a great one. Video, emotive color. Get away from the flat view of here's the front of a package, right? Try to show more imagery, usage situations. Food photography makes all the difference. And all these ways are ways to evoke that mental stimulation to get the brain going about what they want to purchase. Surprising the senses post-purchase. We talked about that a little bit. You know, you think about unpacking the box, right? What's in the box or the bag or the tin or the drone, however the product gets to us these days. Surprise the senses. Scented packaging, unique packaging, nice-to-touch packaging, surprises inside. Those are all cool things. You know, nothing makes me happier when I open up a beauty product that I've ordered online and I get a cool new sample that's relevant because that brand knows me as a repeat customer, right? Um, engaging shoppers physically online, getting them to zoom in, getting them to 360 views. Furniture stores are, are developing all kinds of capability here right now so that people are using their hands and using their minds, not just looking at a flat screen. Um, Multi-gesture apps. You know, it's, it's kind of like the old Wii games where people were moving around while they were playing tennis in front of a screen. Well, think about that as a shopping environment and how do we get people to pinch and squeeze and scrunch a material in, in a virtual way. So all of those are examples of, of things we can do. And, you know, the bottom line is we need to figure out how to commercialize this. The technologies exist. 
And by understanding for your category and your brand, what senses matter, right? Bring in the neuroscientists, bring in the behavioral scientists to take a look with the data at what gets the brain charged up around purchase and then use the technology to bring it to life online. You know, it's not just about the tech. It's not just about the big data. We've got to connect with consumers' lives and emotions, not just their behaviors. I said I had one more question, and I'm the question I'm going to choose relates to DTC. And you've mentioned this a couple of times so far. So just for people who aren't familiar with that phrase, DTC, direct to consumer. Alison, can you wrap up by talking a little bit more about that that role of direct to consumer? I mean, certainly in my world, whether that's with my customer experience or indeed channel performance hat on, we are seeing that ever more important. So it used to be, for example, that our clients would be the obvious, you know, the service provider, whether they're financial services or retail or luxury or whatever else it might be. And, and there's an absolute recognition now from our CPG type clients of that importance of the experience, of that importance of creating those millions of direct relationships. But tell me more from your perspective, where does DTC fit in all of this? Well, DTC is an important part of the mix, and it's an important part of the mix not just for new upstart brands, right? I mean, it, it really evolved as on e-commerce as a way for brands no one had ever heard of to get to market. And then all of a sudden, the next phase was those brands grew to a certain point, and in many cases were acquired by existing branded goods companies. And, and with that acquisition, didn't just come a brand came a capability. So we need to think about DTC from a branding standpoint. Is it right for your brand or is it right for a new brand that fits with your categories? We need to think about DTC from a capability and a fulfillment standpoint. Is it a better way to get your product to consumers or are you better suited with a third party retailer or distributor getting you product to shelf? You know, many retailers are now experimenting with representing other retailers. Here in the U.S., Walmart and Home Depot, politics and e-commerce make strange bedfellows because Walmart, who competes with Home Depot in a few aisles, is now delivering Home Depot through e-commerce. And, and that's a partnership no one would have predicted. So those are two retailers doing it. Whether you're if you're a branded goods company, what is the right way to get to market? Direct-to-consumer is not right for everybody. In some cases, the retail system has figured it out more efficiently than you can. The other way we need to think about um, DTC is from a marketing standpoint, because the greatest benefit of DTC is you own the whole conversation, right? You you have the data, you speak to the person, you know who they are. When they're in your DTC world, they are less likely to buy a competitor, It doesn't mean they're not hopping from your DTC world to 10 different competitive sites before they come back. But you do own that dialogue and that conversation and you can engage directly. So those are all kind of different elements of how you think about DTC and and pulling them together is not simple. So if someone were to say, what, what are best practices for entering DTC? The first is pause and really think about it. Think about, understand what's happening in your category, understand the right path to entry, whether that path to entry is to buy someone, to to partner with someone else who's doing it better, or whether it's more of a marketing play and you want a, a customer relationship management play through DTC versus just a product shipment play. The second part of thinking about is, do you have the capabilities, logistics, supply chain, 
data, speed, all of those things are very different ways of thinking about a business than some of the traditional consumer branded companies. The next is how can you be unique? Because you've got to manage these channels, right? So if you go DTC, your friends in, that are in retailers, physical and digital, and your marketplace partners might not view that as a positive thing. So how are you going to create something that's incremental to the category, incremental to your business, and a complementary piece of your portfolio? It could be a new brand. There's a lot of great examples of that. It could be a new package or a new form and a package that is specifically ready to be shipped in terms of cost, quantity, and speed, but also aligns with brand values. You know, going DTC on your own can create problems. If you're a sustainable oriented brand and you go DTC and you're shipping all this plastic bubble wrap in there, that's a problem, right? So there's a lot of things to think through on the positive and the negative before you jump into DTC, but it absolutely has to be part of your omni-channel strategy and whether you're going to play, how you're going to play and who you're going to play with. But it goes back to your point, doesn't it, in terms of how one needs to manage each of the channels alone or indeed, of course, from a convergent perspective. And some of those fundamental business questions in terms of that whole size measure drive size, you know, what's the size of that channel opportunity? How do you actually work out? So that's absolutely key. In terms of measuring the extent to which those channels are measuring, are delivering on the brand promise, are delivering on the regulatory requirements. In terms of the extent to which you can drive growth at the back of these, you know, from a customer profiling, understanding the customer process through them. All of these things still absolutely matter. Alison, thank you so much. Seriously, that was just brilliant. Now, for our listeners out there, there's a couple of things I'd encourage you to do, one of which is absolutely head to this paper. So if you search on ipsos.com or if you search for wherever, Convergent Commerce Ipsos, you'll see it's brilliant. Uh, The other thing you can do is we have a webinar next week on the 18th and Alison will be speaking on that. So that also is called Convergent Commerce and there's a whole bunch of stuff on that, one of which is the, the new Ipsos Global Trend survey which is frankly incredible we have Alison speaking we have a section on China in focus which is was fascinating looking at some of the changes happening within that market many of which uh, Alison has referred to and we also have reference to the channel performance management paper that I spoke about this whole concept of size measure drive so check those out but in the meantime Alison I can't wait already to you coming back next time thank you so much for joining us uh, and I'm sure you're happy to take questions if any of our listeners have questions they presumably you'll be happy for them to head your way. Absolutely. So there's a couple of ways people can reach me. The first is you can go to Ipsos's Omnichannel page, which is ipsos.com slash en slash omnichannel. And all of our papers are there and the papers have our contact information. The second is you can check out my LinkedIn page, um, Alison Chaltis. I am the only one in the world, so you should be able to find me. Um, and we will post the link to the keys webinar that's happening next week. So you can find it and sign up and get that um, recording as soon as it's available. So happy to talk to anyone who wants to talk about Omnichannel. Happy to talk more to people with ideas on how we can get better together. So toward that goal, Helen, I thank you so much for having me today, for putting up with my um, ranting about the importance of convergent commerce. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for listening to Customer Perspective, an Ipsos podcast. 
New episodes will be made available every two weeks, so make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get the episodes sent straight to you. We're also available on Spotify. Spotify.